right, Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2, the book of the Revelation, chapter number 2. That's where we'll find our text tonight. We'll finish up chapter number 2 with a word that the Lord has um, been speaking. And uh, very... Um, serious text which most of the book of Revelation is but to be honest most of the Bible is and uh, people preach it um, however they want to preach it but I think I'll just stick with preaching it in context how and how, how it was der- derived remember it's practical remember that's how I told you I was going to preach it more of a practical style of preaching. That's about the only way you can preach through a book. You can you can you can try to give it to a future reference and give the prophetic look of it, but it's going to be hard to preach through the Book of Revelation that way. I'm talking about preaching, okay? I'm not talking about teaching you. Um, there's some teaching goes on through it, but I'm talking about teaching preaching here tonight. And so um, we've come. This is our seventh message in the Book of Revelation. And uh, we have not made it through chapter number two yet. And so if we go at this rate, it's going to take a long time. And so chapter two and verse number 18 is where we'll begin to read, but we're not going to read yet. I want to give you a little bit of backdrop, okay? This is speaking of the church of Thyatira, and that's what it's in. So we've come to our seventh message. This is our seventh message on the Revelation as we entitled it. And the Lord has helped us this far. Tonight we see the letter that the Lord is addressing to the church of Thyatira. Thyatira, Thyatira, I think it's Thyatira. Um, But out of all seven of the churches, the Lord addresses, this church is the smallest city, it's the smallest and the least known of out of all seven of them. It's the smallest city, it's not very far um, from Pergamos, it's about 38, 39 miles from Pergamos, In that time, not modern Turkey, as we found. But however, this is the longest letter out of all seven churches. find that ironic, but it is. It's the longest letter to all seven churches. This letter consists of 11 verses, um, or technically 10 verses, um, however you want to look at it. Um, But that's more than he wrote to um, Pergamos. That's more than he wrote to the church of Ephesus. And that's more than he wrote to the church of Smyrna. And so, and that's also more than he'll, we'll find that it's more than he's going to write to the church of Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea as well. So let's read our passage here tonight and we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us and now give a little bit more of a backdrop. The Bible says in verse 18 of chapter 2 of the book of Revelation, And under the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Wheat brass. Wheat brass. Even without red letters, we knew who was talking right there. I know thy works in charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. And so he mentioned his works twice there, the church of Thyatira. He mentions their works twice and we understand that. He says the last is more than the first. There's a progression taking place. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Dreaded, dreaded words coming from the Lord. Because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, 
which calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornications, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication. She repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one according to his works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put you I put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh keepeth my words unto the end. To him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him in the morning star. And I will give him the morning star. You see in that? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Thank you for your ear. Lord, we love you. We ask you to help us this evening. Help me, Lord, to preach the word of God straight and true. Exactly, Lord, as you're addressing here. To the church of Thyatira, let us apply it to our hearts this morning and this evening. Lord, help us to do that. And we pray, God, you'd get all glory for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. So the church of Thyatira has been written to here and they have been addressed. And Thyatira, if you do any study of the Greek and that sort of stuff, you'll find that it means odor of affliction. It means odor of affliction. There's a few different meanings that people say that it means. But it means odor of affliction. It was located some 38 miles southeast of Pergamos. And... Um, the capital city, which is Pergamos, as we found out last week, it is the capital city of the land there. And according to history, Thyatira was destroyed many times and then rebuilt many times. Not saying that has much to do about it. I'm just trying to give you a backdrop to let you know what Thyatira was. And so I found that Thyatira was known for its industry of wool. Okay? was known for its industry of wool and especially for the dyed wool. Wool that's colored, okay? It's dyed. Dyed wool. And so they made a very expensive purple dye that was valued as royalty uh, and, the wealth, uh, and, and the wealthy of that era. If you had that purple dye or something that had to do with it, you would be valued. You were a person of value or a person of wealth. In that era. And I read this dye came from a certain shellfish. Don't know if it has anything to do with it, but it has something. There's there's a shellfish that there. So this place was a was very much like your modern look of um, you know, something that carries a lot of jobs. It has there was a lot of jobs in this little city, uh, and there was a lot of people coming in, a lot of people going out thereof. And that sort of stuff. And ironically, the only other time outside of the book of Revelation that the, the, the Thyatira is even mentioned is in Acts chapter 16 and verse 14 where the Bible says, A seller of purple out of the city of Thyatira. That's none other than Lydia. 
Lydia was a seller of purple, and she come out of Thyatira. So that gives us a literal backdrop, a biblical backdrop, uh, and it gives us a literal look to exactly what is taking place there. Uh, and so there was much work going on in the city of Thyatira, and also uh, um, there was much work in there. And there was also, though, however, much wicked worship going on. There was a lot of wicked worship um, from fortune tellings. They said they had a fortune telling temple there in that land and that sort of stuff. False god, and which was led um, by a leader by her name was they called Sunbathe. Okay, Sunbathe, S A Sambathe, S A M B A T H E. They said that was the god of the Thyatarans in that land, and that's kind of what they worshipped. Uh, and we do not know who founded the church of Thyatira, and some say that it was a woman, a woman, but we do not know. But however, we do know it was being uh, it, not led by one, but there was a lot of stuff going on in there by one. It didn't say that a woman led the church of Thyatira. But it does say that there's a woman teaching in the church of Thyatira. We're going to hit on some things tonight that I don't think you'll be uncomfortable with. But some people, however, would be uncomfortable with. And so we're going to hit on it anyways. Because it's the Bible. Amen. We do not know, but there was some serious problems in the church of Thyatira. And the Lord comes with a word that's made just for them. It's made just for them. It's tailored directly for them and for their need. And Jesus comes to confront them about it. And he has some words to say. And as he appears on the scene in verse number 18 to the church of Thyatira, he comes in three different ways. He comes, number one, as the saving one. It says, uh, the Son of God. It says, and under the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? Uh, These things saith the Son of God. Aren't you glad if you can't say amen about anything else tonight that He is the Son of God and He's the saving one. Amen. Uh, He reminds these people that He is the Savior uh, and that He alone is worthy of their worship. Uh, He comes as the saving one and then He reads on and it says, Who hath His eyes uh, like unto a flame of fire? He comes as a searching one. Uh, It speaks of His eyes as a flame of fire. Uh, He comes at one who sees all who knows all and he sees the works uh, of their hands and of their hearts and the motives uh, um, that they have throughout there and he comes seeing everything uh, and he comes not as the meek and the lowly lamb uh, as some would have saw him some years prior to this uh, but he comes here uh, with his flame with his eyes as flames of fire uh, because of sin sin judgment anger God ain't angry on anything. I beg to differ. God's angry when it comes to things that come against him. Amen. He comes as the saving one, as the searching one. And then it reads on and it says in his feet are like fine brass. He comes as the sovereign one. The sovereign one, brass or bronze in scripture. All the way back to the tabernacle times. You can read it. It's a a biblical symbolic term for judgment. There's judgment coming. And Jesus not only comes as one who sees all, but he also comes as one that will judge all. And that's how God's going to come. Well, let's look in what the Lord has to say as I preach on this thought. Thyatira, the church that had charity but compromised. 
The church that had charity, but compromised. I want you to notice three points. I'll be done as fast as I can, but I want to get this preached. I'm going to start my clock and look at it so you don't have to look at yours. Amen. Number one tonight, we have the Lord compliments their works. He goes through and he says there in verse number 9, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. So he goes through this and the Lord compliments their works as he looks at it and the Lord compliments, compliments. this isn't alliterated, there's nothing nothing fancy about it, but he compliments what they are doing. He compliments what they are doing. They, this was an active church. I mean, when you say it was an active church, they were working within their own number. They were working within their own members and within the community around them. Uh, and their ministry, they had a ministry in there. And their ministry is noted here uh, when Jesus uses a few words. Uh, and he goes through and he says, And I, I know thy works. Now, I know thy works. Now, if you look up that word works, it means it simply tells us they were working, okay? Uh, they were working. They had deeds, okay? Deeds. That's word works. Uh, actually has means deeds. It refers to deeds. Uh, and it speaks of them as being active in good deeds. Uh, and the outreach of the church and everything was real good. They had works. They were working. And then I see a little bit farther where the Bible says, uh, and charity and service. They were weighted. They said, what? They were burdened. Can I just make it simple? They were burdened. Uh, um, This word uh, service here, if you look it up in the Greek, it actually means ministry. And it is exactly the same exact word that is translated to what we know today, deacon. How about that? It's translated to the exact word that means deacon. And throughout the New Testament, everybody remember what I said. You might not remember it at all. And if it's okay, you don't got to lie about it. But the word deacon, uh, actually, remember, it, it, ha- it carries that meaning. Uh, one, that those who kick up the dust. Those who are moving, that kick up the dust. As a waiter, remember, the, the man of God ought not leave them. The Word of God to serve tables according to Acts chapter 6. Uh, and that's what it's speaking of there. Uh, and a waiter as it moves throughout the wet restaurant or anything, uh, they'll kick up the dust as they're moving consistently uh, throughout there. And a good waitress or a good waiter will continually move. And so it's one that kicks up dust. And so in other words, uh, um, they were busy uh, and they were burdened. They had a click, kick up a cloud of dust behind them uh, as they went from task to task uh, to keep things moving. They were a busy church and the Lord looks at them and He compliments what they are doing. And then He also looks at them and He compliments how they are doing. He compliments how they're doing. What was behind these works? What's the motive? What's the reasoning for this? What motivated them to do what they were doing here? Well, the Lord says, I know thy works in charity. Now, this might not be something, because I remember in my younger years that I heard this in my own ears. and It was preached from this pulpit. And this word here, you might notice it. It's the word agape. They had charity. Now, I don't care what most have to say about it. Here's one thing, and I don't even like saying I don't care, because I do care. 
But 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 speaks of the word agape a lot. It's the word charity. It's the word charity, and it's not just any love, but it's brotherly love. And the Bible says in Acts, where it tells us that man who desires friends must showeth himself friendly. We have a friend that sticks closer than a brother, right? So speaking of Christ there. And so there's the word agape there. And that word simply means unconditional love. Uh, it means unconditional. It means unceasing. Uh, it, it's one that knows no boundaries. They had that love. That's God's type of love. You understand that? That's God's type of love. That's not just the God, the, the love that God has towards us, because it's not. It's, it goes more than that, but it, it is that. Uh, it is that. And now let's be real. When we look at that, the the, the only real motive for good works uh, is love. Everything we do is to be done out of a heart or love uh, of a love, or it's absolutely worthless. I'll give you a biblical reference to that. In the book of 1 Corinthians over there, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, matter of fact, let me turn over there. I want to read that for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 and verse number 1, the Bible speaks on that. And the Bible says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass of a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. It comes from love. Good works, good works, deeds, things that you're going to do for somebody comes because you love that person. And if it doesn't, then you're doing it for the wrong way. We do things for the Lord. Why? Because we love Him. He done things for us. Why? He, let, he set the example. Man, the Lord's really... This ain't in my notes. The Lord's really giving me some stuff on this. He, does, he, he died for us because for God so loved the world. He sent His Son... Why? Because He loves us. Uh, and it ought to give us ample reason to do things for Him because we love Him. And when people don't do things for Him, it shows their love for Him. Everybody with me? It's the truth. It's the truth. Uh, and a love, a love that won't work is not a genuine love at all. You see people so often not doing anything for the house of God. It's because they don't love God. I know that's a bold statement, but it's because they don't love God. You see people who, uh, who, who won't give a tract. Uh, you could hold a gun to their head and they wouldn't give a tract to someone. Why? It's because they don't love sinners. It's the truth. It's because they don't love them. Uh, you, you ask somebody to do something and they won't do it for nothing. Um, it's because they don't love you. You say, what do you mean? It's just because they don't love you. Can I give you a reference to that? First, first John. First John chapter number 3 and verse number 18. The Bible says, My little children, let us not love in word uh, or neither in tongue, 
Let us not love in word, uh, neither in tongue, but in deed uh, and in truth. Uh, if we're going to love someone and show them our love, we're going to have to do something for them. It is good that this church had love. It's great that they had charity, but we're not, we're not told what they loved. We're not told they loved Jesus. It's not what it says. It just says, I know thy works in charity. Did, did their work arise out of a genuine love for the Lord? Did they do it because they loved Him or did they just simply love fellow man? What did they have this? And as the verses unfold, as the verses show uh, just a little bit, I think we might see uh, that their love was centered on man, not centered on Christ. They were fond of what they were doing. I know I didn't mention that before, skipped right over it, but they were fond of it. You know what else they were? They were faithful to it. He goes on and he says, and faith. You've got to hurry. This word means faithfulness. Simple. These were people that could be counted on to do the job. They would get the job done. They, they were faithful to it, but too many times, friend. Too many times there is work to be done around the church. And listen, I'm thankful for what you guys do. I'm not fussing at you. But too many times there's work around the church and no one wants to do that work. No one wants to do that work. Too many times it happens. Understand. It just seems like the same people do it all the time. Is it not true? I'm just telling you there's work to be done and there was not a problem in Thyatira. Because when work needed to be done, they had people to do it. They had people to do it, and that's a good situation. But when you go door knocking, and there's only a few that do it, when when the church needs cleaning, there's only a few to do it. You get what I'm saying. Thyatira didn't have that problem. Seemed like many done it. I'm telling you, it's a work that needs to be done. They were faithful to it. They were faithful to it, friend. The Lord compliments how they were doing their motives. Then the Lord compliments where they're going. He says a little farther, he said, works. And the last to be more than the first. Now, we can look at this and see many different things, but they were developing. I believe that's what that means. The last works is more than the first works. They were developing. They were progressing on their works, in their works. They were doing it, their outreach and their ministry to their fellow man was, was, was just a consistent increase. It's great. It's great, don't you think so? But what Jesus says about the church of Thyatira should be true about us. I believe we've got a good church here. We should be a church that is busy for the glory of God. We should be. We should be a church that is busy for that, not just having activities for the sake of doing something. Or, you know, a lot of churches doing doing that nowadays. We should we should be active in the Lord's work. But we should see that every saint, everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we do is either edifying the saints, lifting them up, 
I mean, evangelizing the sinner. What about that? Or exalting the Savior. There's nothing in between that. Everybody with me? There's nothing in between that. And I'm not just fussing at you. I'm just preaching the text, okay? Just preaching the text. You know that to be true. That, that, that should happen. It doesn't matter. As long if the Savior is not exalted, we've done something wrong. He got to get the glory. He did not save anybody to be lazy. He didn't save anybody to be lazy, but to be busy in the kingdom work. Uh, that's what he did. James chapter 2 and verse 18 says, show you my, I'll show you my faith by my works, right? Right? So, so, so that's what it is. And there's not room for laziness. Uh, there's not room for slothfulness in God's business. Uh, that's not how the Lord wants His children to be. But sadly, sadly, that's just the way many are. Listen, God never called anybody to be lazy. He called them to be laborers. That's what he did. Amen. Lord compliments their work. Secondly, secondly, the Lord calls out their wrong. Not only does he call it out, he condemns it. Whichever way you want to take that. He condemns their wrong. He calls out their wrong and he tells them, uh, there's something, I have a few things against thee. This church appeared to be everything a church ought to be on the surface. But at its core and at its heart, they had some wrongs. They had some wrongs. Now, for alliteration's sake, I'm going to call it this. He calls out, number one, their lecturer. He calls out their lecturer. She wasn't a leader. I wasn't going to say leader, but she wasn't their leader. But he calls her out and he says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you. Because thou suffered that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess to teach... To seduce my servants, to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed in the idol. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication. She repented not. Behold, I cast her into bed, and them, them that commit adultery with her in the great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I'll kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which surfaces and reigns range in the hearts, and I will give and every one of you according to their, your works. He comes through and he calls out. Their lecture, the, the church in Thyatira was being laid away uh, from the Lord by the teachings of an influential woman in their congregation. Uh, now Jesus exposes her, her teachings uh, and her doctrine and her judgment uh, in these verses. He exposes it all. And this woman is called Jezebel. Isn't that right? She's called by the name of the most, one of the most famous women in the entire Bible. A little background on Jezebel will help us to understand, okay. Just a little background on Jezebel. Jezebel was the wife of wicked king Ahab. 1 Kings chapter 16 verse 31 tells you that. It was the king of wicked king Ahab and her name means chaste, but she was anything but that. Okay, she was the daughter of a wicked Gentile king and she was a devoted worshiper of, of Baal as you know it, and kept up with 850 prophets uh, of that wicked sensual religion and all the things that come about it in 1 Kings chapter 16, I mean chapter 18, uh, I think it is, it tells us about that. Baal was the god of fertility, and his prophets and priests were no more than temple prostitutes. You do any study on it, you'll find it yourself. They were nothing but temple prostitutes, and Baal was worshipped through vile sexual acts and gross wickedness, uh, that sort of stuff, okay? It's some nasty stuff. But when Jezebel came to Israel, she brought all her perverted religion with her, and she led her weak-kneed, 
mossy back husband that wouldn't stand up to anything. She led him to follow her gods and influence Israel as the king of Israel influence Israel to seek Baal instead of Jehovah. That's what she did. She led that mess. And she even did her best to kill every true man of God that walked upon the face of the earth. She ran up to Elijah and scared him to death. He ran. It's the truth. It's the truth. She threatened him. She threatened him and told him she'd kill him. And then in Numbers chapter 1, uh, or 21 rather, uh, it was Jezebel uh, that arranged uh, for the murder of Naboth over that vineyard. Remember that? And she, so, so, that Eli, so that Ahab could have the vineyard that she had. And the act, the act really prompted, it really struck up a, a nerve in Elijah. And Elijah came in and pronounced God's sentence on Ahab and Jezebel. He told Ahab that, he would be, that Jezebel would be eaten by dogs. And that's exactly what happened, praise God. Amen. This was literally, it was literally fulfilled later in Scripture. It was fulfilled later in Scripture. And uh, um, you can read there that Jehu, I think it was Jehu, I think commanded uh, that Jezebel's servants, uh, he commanded Jezebel's servants to throw her uh, down from a second floor window. And they did. And Jehu drove his chariot over top of her. He said, well, she wasn't eating my dogs. Well, he, he went in the house and his, to, eat, to eat supper, you know. And he commanded that the servants bury her. Well, when they went out to retrieve her body and get her body, all that was left was her skull, her feet, and the palms of her hands. She had been eaten by dogs. Isn't that amazing how the Scripture comes together, friend? The dog... The dogs had eaten all the rest of her and Jezebel was known for wickedness and idolatry and the worship of it. We see here her sin is noted in verse number 20. Her sin is noted. I have a few things against thee, Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, teach seduced servants to commit fornication, eat things, sacrificed to idols. Her sin is noted, friend. The self-appointed... Uh, Prophetess, can we just get one good amen? There ain't no woman ought to be teaching men. There ain't no woman ought to be leading men. There ain't no woman ought to be doing that. Why? Because the Bible said so. Because the Bible said so, friend. Whoever she was, whoever this teacher was, it was not Jezebel, by the way. But whoever this teacher was, uh, she was guilty of leading the people away uh, from the true worship of Jehovah God. Some say that she, we, don't, we can't be sure, okay? Some say that it was animal sacrifice. Some say it was pagan worship. So we cannot be 100% sure. But what we do know is what the Bible says. The Bible says she taught to seduce servants to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed to that. Now, you all notice that, notwithstanding, I, I just now noticed that. I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to, zeus, to seduce my servants. That's the Lord speaking. 
to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed unto idols. Just notice that, by the way. This woman may have been telling the people in that church that they could hold on to their pagan beliefs. By the way, she was speaking to pagans. Just study. Just study. Speaking to pagans and that sort of stuff. You can hold on to your beliefs. You can hold on to your practices. But you can still serve God doing that. She was seducing them. I mean, maybe she was telling them that they could still serve sin and still be saved. Maybe she was telling them that, 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 that it's okay, you can do one and the other at the same time. And this may have been the tool that the church was using to get the pagans to, of Thyatira to come to their church. I'm just being practical here. I can't tell you exactly what she was doing. All I can tell you is exactly what the Word of God said. And she was seducing people. Meaning attracting them. They were compromising their standards to fit the world. They were compromising and they were loose people. They were loose. And God loves you and so do we. Live however you please. If that ever comes out of my mouth, pull me off this pulpit. Whatever she was doing, she was leading God's people astray. The word seduce means to lead out of the right path. That's what it means. She was leading them into immorality. The word fornication comes from the word porneo. You can put two and two together there. That's where we get our word today, pornography. And it refers to any sexual sin. So you can tell me what they were doing. They were doing about the same thing that Jezebel had been doing. Which the God of Baal, which is the God of fertility, was doing in those days. Are you getting what God is doing here? He's telling her she's just like Jezebel. She's just like Jezebel everywhere. Uh, the same teaching abounds in the modern era today. It abounds everywhere. People who call themselves Christians that claim uh, that they can have a relationship with the Lord on, the, on one hand uh, and live uh, just like the world in open sin and homo- homosexuals uh, and, and, and all of this stuff that's going on and drug dealers uh, and drug abusers and drunkards uh, and uh, all people who deal with false religions. Uh, they claim the name and they remain the same. That's, that's so big in our era today. You understand that? It is so big in the churches of today uh, that people can live however they want to uh, and drink whatever they want to and do whatever they want to. Uh, it's hogwash. It's a lie from the devil. They claim it all. And they're liars is all that they are. And if you're in here, I'm telling you the truth this evening. It's the Bible, and it's not of God. It's never going to be of God. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. The Bible says that God told His people to separate themselves. Uh, the Bible says, uh, to separate you, saith the Lord. Uh, in the Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, that's what He says. Uh, I mean, it's clear as day. Uh, and He told us that His people received a new birth. Isn't that right? That's not what He told Nicodemus? Nicodemus says, how can a man be born of, go back in his mother's womb and be born again? Well, you know what I think? I think the Bible's interpreting there is the Bible's terp- interpreting an, a natural birth of a woman. 
He's telling us that we were in there. He says, what's born of water. Is that right? Okay. You're getting what I'm trying to say there. What's born of the water is water. What's born of the spirit is spirit. What is, what is babies born into today? What breaks before you can have a baby? All right, water breaks. I believe God knew what he was talking about, okay? And in John chapter 3, he says what's born of a woman, water is born of water. It's not talking about baptism. I don't care what any of them have to say about it. It's not talking about that, but what's born of water is water. And that is how this child was born, that child was born, that child was born. And those two babies are going to be born. It's through water. It's through water that they're born. They're carried in water as you speak. And their water is going to break. And then what's born of the Spirit? Spirit is of the Spirit. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, that is the spiritual birth. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And what's born of the water is water, meaning flesh. And what's born of the Spirit is is spirit. Uh, that means he died on the cross of Calvary uh, and I he died for me uh, and he died in my place uh, and that is very spiritual uh, and he took my sins uh, and God put them on his son uh, and that is the transfer uh, of my sins uh, to him uh, and I, he transferred his righteousness uh, to my filthy rags uh, therefore through that I became spiritual. Amen. Through the birth of Him. That's what it's speaking of. And that's what God says. And you cannot live the world and live like God and try to do it one day this way and one day this way. You cannot serve two gods. You can't serve mammon and you can't serve God at the same time. It's scripture. You cannot do it. You'll never win. Whatever you feed the most will win. And it's evident in people's lives today. Amen, friend. Her sin is noted. Her selfishness is noted. She goes on and he says here very clearly in verse 21, I gave her space to repent and of her fornication. She repented not. The Lord had given this woman and her followers time to turn from their sins. They had time, but they refused to do so. Now, his patience has run out. That's something to say about God, isn't it? Can I just say something just real loud and clear for those who don't believe me? God's love ran out. God's time, God's patience ran out. I don't believe any man can be saved any time. But I believe any man can be saved. Clear, right? I believe any man can be saved. But God, there is an end with God. It's clear in Scripture. Uh, time ran out to her. Uh, and it says, I gave her space to repent. Uh, of her fornication, she repented not. Behold, what am I going to do now? I'm going to cast her in to a bed. And there's going to be some great tribulation. I'm telling you, friend, I'm telling you, his patience run out. The Lord is patient. He's a loving God. Thank God that he is. And I'm telling you the truth. He gives lost sinners and wayward believers time and time and time to repent. God does that. He does that. And when they refuse, they can expect nothing less than judgment. It's the truth. Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 1. The Bible says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck and shall suddenly be destroyed and without remedy. Hey. He hardens his neck to the things of God. And when he does, there is absolutely 
He shall be suddenly destroyed. You wonder why things happen the way they do in this life. And you wonder maybe how many times, how in the world did that 20-year-old... Now, this is scary. What I'm fixing to say is scary. What I'm fixing to say is real, though. How did that 20-year-old die so soon? Why did that happen? Maybe that 20-year-old stiffened his neck towards God. And suddenly, suddenly, maybe that 20-year-old had been reproved for for, for 10 years. God gave him that chance, that chance, that chance. And suddenly he was destroyed. And there was no remedy. No remedy. There was no remedy anymore. And I'm telling you tonight, uh, her selfishness is named. It's selfish to say no to God. It's selfish to say no to God. And then her sentence is named. And we read through those verses 22 and 23. i got to hurry. I've only been preaching 28 minutes if you wanted to know. Um, <clears throat> because of what she had done, she and all of her followers will face the wrath of God. And by using the word, he says here, cast. I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Cast her into great tribulation. Think about that. He's telling us that these people are not saved though. Is that right? Notice the grace in his judgment. Just notice the grace that takes place there. The grace that takes place there. He's still, he's still giving them place to repent. That's amazing to me. That's absolutely amazing. If they refuse, they will be judged. Guess what they'll be judged by? According to their works. Isn't that mind-blowing, y'all? They'll be judged according to their works. Now, works salvation don't save a man. Well, can I just tell you something? This is what one preacher said. He said, salvation is always based on God's grace. But judgment comes based on man's works. Salvation is always based on God's grace. But man's work is what hangs in the pendulum of judgment. Man's work. What you do. I'm telling you. Remember how I mentioned that up there? It says, And my servants to commit fornication. Verse 24, But I say unto you and unto the rest in Thyatira, As many as have not this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put, let's see, verse 23, I will kill her children with death. Her children. You know what the truth is about all this depravity and all this wickedness in this world today? You know who's going to have to deal with the repercussions of it? The children. The children, the young people are the ones who suffer the most uh, when there is compromise uh, and hypocrisy inside of the house of God. Amen, church. These children are going to have to deal. If we compromise for what we believe, uh, if we live however at home and live uh, this way, uh, your children are going to have to deal with it. Your children are going to have to deal with it. Your children and our children as well uh, are going to have to deal with compromise. 
And if you compromise and if I compromise my belief, I, I promise you your children's going to reap it. They're going to reap it, friend. I'm telling you, they see inconsistency and they turn their, their backs on God and they stumble off blindly towards hell all because of what you chose to do. Amen, friend. Amen. It matters what goes on inside the house of God. Amen. It matters 100% what goes on in here. Amen. God, help, i got to move on. But God calls out their lecture. You know what else he calls out? He calls out their looseness. In verse number 20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophet to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication, to eat things, sacrificed unto idols. Jesus expresses displeasure with his church. You know, it seems like I may be saying the same thing, but just hang tight. Because they allowed the woman to be in a position of leadership. And because they tolerated the lies that she was teaching, uh, and the word sufferest, because thou hast sufferest, my woman. That word sufferest, it means to tolerate. It means to permit. It means to allow. God is displeased that they would allow things of that nature to go on in the church of Thyatira. They were probably like maybe, they were, they were probably like many in our day today, uh, the day that we live in, that, that they might have said, well, I don't agree with it, but we shouldn't say anything uh, because we might hurt somebody's feelings. Hey, I, maybe that's how they were thinking in the church. I don't want to hurt her feelings. Uh, and some folks need their feelings hurt. Amen. That's hard preaching tonight. I'm having a good time in Jesus. Uh, Amen, friend. I'm telling you, some folks need them hurt. uh, And when false doctrine uh, has been preached inside the house of God, uh, I'm telling you, those folks uh, who who know the truth uh, have a duty uh, to stand up uh, and do something about it. Oh, I know it's wrong, but I'm not going to say anything about it. That's what's wrong, friend. That's what's wrong. I'm telling you, when we sit back and allow that kind of wickedness to go on unchecked, we invite the judgment of God upon this church. Amen. Amen. Some people look at our church and they disapprove of our standards. Oh, man, they, don't have, they, they just got too tight of standards up there. They disapprove of how we, how we send our money and where our money goes. They disapprove of all that stuff. They don't understand why our women wear dresses to church. They don't understand. All, you, all your women, yes. If you're going to be a member of Mountain Valley Baptist Church, you are going to wear a dress to church. Amen. If you're going to be a member of it, you are going to wear a dress. I understand there's sometimes that things happen, but if you, if all by all means you will wear a dress to the house of God. I'm thankful for people to do that. Amen. I'm telling you, why? Why, why, why does that matter? They don't understand why we refuse to allow certain kinds of music in the house of God. It's okay. It's just one song. They don't understand why our, where we stand on the blessed King James Bible. 
They don't understand why we do that. They don't understand why we, why, why, why we won't line up with them and participate in the things that they allow themselves to do. Uh, but let me tell you this, friend. Uh, we have standards and we will stand by them. Hallelujah. Um, you might not like what I'm about to say, but that's going to be alright. Uh, pants on ladies uh, will turn into shorts on men. Uh, at the house of God, uh, I've seen it happen in this church. Oh, ladies, y'all can wear pants all you want to to the house of God, and the next thing you know, here comes a bunch of men in shorts. It ain't right. It ain't right, and I've preached on it, and I can tell you once again, but the Bible's clear on it. A man, a woman, ought not wear that which pertaineth to a man. Pertaineth. And it's likewise the other way. Now, what does that mean? That means pertaineth. It means that which has been made for. Isn't that crazy? Now, you look in history and see if you can find where anywhere before the 1970s that women wore pants. By the way, if you were, if you were wondering, in 1962, that's the first time that a woman wore pants and she done it in rebellion to that system. Just telling you the truth. There was not one woman that could ever who raise your hand high and jump up and down if you like the Clinton administration. I didn't think so. Okay. Well, let me just tell you something. The first time a woman was ever allowed to wear pants on a public forum when it comes to that was under Bill and Hillary Clinton. You like them? That's the first time that they were able to. In a public, like I'm talking about in that sense. I'm talking about among the, the leaders of our nation. That was the first time they were able to. I could tell you all day long, but nonetheless, when it comes to the house of God, we ought to dress our best. We ought to look our best. We ought to act our best. Because the church is in line, and the church has it, and God has it exactly how He wants to have it. I think it's a very, very important thing. And this woman right here, whoever she was, like Jezebel, was leading this church. And if we let this wall down, one new version today will turn into a confusion of verses tomorrow. If we change into one new version today, and listen, I'm not mad about anybody who wears pants. I'm not mad about any of that kind of stuff, by the way. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm not mad about anybody who reads another scripture. I think it's wrong, and I think it's crazy, and you're going to be crazy. But you do what you want to do. I'm not mad if you listen to 106.9, but I think you're crazy if you do. Someone that believes it, tell us amen. I mean, you can do what you want to do. I, I, I mean, that's fine. I, I'm not your Lord, okay? If God, You deal with God over it. God will deal with you over it. I'm not your Lord. I'm just your pastor. Just trying to lead you. You, you know what? You know the crazy part about it? God puts me at this church as an under-shepherd. Is that right? I'm not your Lord. I'm not, not, I'm not going to lord you. And if you, it, you know what, Jenny? If you want to wear the Speedos at the beach, I'm not going to stop you from wearing Speedos. I might advise you not to, but I'm not going to stop you from doing it, right? And so if that's just what you want to do, that's fine. But you know what a shepherd does? I can take you... About that Speedo situation. 
I can take you, if you, say you're thirsty, right? Man, I can take you to the water all day long. But I will never be able to make you drink that water. That's what a shepherd does. Shepherd takes a sheep to the water all day long. But I'll never be able to make you drink that water. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to lead. Just trying to tell you God's honest truth from the scripture. What the Bible says. And if we move on our music. If we move on our word of God that we have. If we move on the way we act. The way we talk. The way we dress. The way we do those things. If we do that today. Uh, tomorrow the inside of this church might have lights. And, in, and, 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 and be a symbol to a rock concert. Amen. Now you tell me how fast it's happened. Look at churches today. You'll see how fast it happened. Friend, I tell you, I've hit a good stump here. And it's been a good one. But I'm telling you, if we let the wall down just a little bit and we compromise with the world, the world would not stop until it has everything that we hold dear. I'm telling you, we, we, will, not, we will be left with nothing but the anger of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather be misunderstood as a, and called old-fashioned, Holy Ghost preaching, loud preaching, ridiculed and all that they want to call me than to let go of the power and presence of the Almighty God that we have in this house of God. Amen, friend. We must stand. He calls out their looseness. He calls out their light. He goes to the end of verse 23, searches the reins and heart, and I will give unto every one of you according to their works. Now, the Lord teaches His church that he would, he, would, he would use them as an example to teach other churches what happened when truth is compromised. There's some churches around this area that's real good examples of what happens when they compromise with the world. There's some churches down the road that look like it. They show it, friend. I'm not talking about down this road, but I'm talking about just around this area that show what happens when they compromise with the world. Man, I'm telling you, friend. The church in Thyatira had been established to bring the word of God to a pagan city. They had functioned well for a little while, but then they had abandoned the right path. They had been seduced elsewhere, and they're going to pay a heavy price for their sin. Man. Friend, I tell you, the Lord will not tolerate sin in the church. It's still right to do right. First Peter. I know some people have left this church and some people have gotten very mad when things are said from the pulpit of this church. And I know I've said faulty things, but I'm telling you the truth tonight. I'm going to tell you from the Bible where judgment is to begin. Can I tell you that judgment is to begin at the house of God? 1 Peter 4, verse 17, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. It starts in the house of God. You want to be the best preacher? Listen, I've seen people. I've seen people. I've seen it with my own eyes. You have to. I've seen people. 
under the preaching of the Word of God, not just because I'm preaching, but because the Word of God is broken and the water has been given and you are right there drinking. I've seen people drinking out of the trough from the Word of God day in, day out, week in, week out at the house of God and then they leave this church and they're the same exact way they were before they were born again. Or near the same exact way. They ain't, they ain't the same exact way, but they're back to the same doings. I've seen it, friend. I've seen it left and right. And I love every person that's ever come in here and lived their life. But what they've done is they compromised. You get out from under preaching, and I promise you, you're going to be thirsty. Right? If you get out from under water being broke, I promise you, you're going to be thirsty. It's just how things happen. He called out their life. So he calls out their, he compliments their works and calls out their wrongs. And then the Lord comforts their workers. And I'm, I'm just going to be quickly done. Just going to go over it quickly. In verse 24 through verse 29, 29, it tells us not everybody in fire terror walked away from the Lord. There were some that still stood. Even in that tolerant, compromising, sinful church, there was a faithful remnant that stayed. And the Lord has a the Lord can, Lord gave hope to them. He gave comfort to them. He give them, gives them comfort concerning their functions. Verse twenty four. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not known this doctrine, as not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put un, upon you none other burden. But that which ye have already held, hold fast till I come. He tells them that all he expects for them is that they stay the course. They keep on. He wants them to avoid being sucked into the evil that was there, that was messed up in Thyatira, and that he is in his will, he'll use them in those times of hard times. And, and I tell you, friend, we can stand our ground to be faithful until the rapture takes us out of here. We can. I mean, in Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 11 through verse number 18, we're told to stand three times. Stand. When you've done all, stand. Therefore, with your loins girt about. He gives them comfort concerning their functions. It's time to stand, friend. It's time to stay standing. Amen. He gives them comfort concerning their future in verse 26. And 27, he that overcometh keepeth and keepeth my works unto the end. To him will I give power over the nations. And as and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of potter shall they be broken to shivers. Even as I have received of my father. Lord promises them that if they remain faithful to him, they'll rule with him when it comes to the kingdom. Hallelujah. Amen. He seems to be saying, You'll, you, you church, I understand her powerless to change your situation now there's a lot going on right now uh, in the day that you're in but one day that struggle will be over and you'll reign with me in the paradise hallelujah you'll reign with me in the everlasting kingdom and that's a blessing if you're going to be holy and godly christian in this day you're going to deal with persecution the bible says yea all that live godly will suffer persecution it's just simple we can, we can it's just what it's going to take place in this life but this is not the end of the matter thank god this is not the end and one day the king is going to come and he's going to reign and we're going to be with him hallelujah we're going to be with him and i'm glad for that friend uh, um, th- those who serve him faithfully now will reign with him someday It'll be worth it all when that day comes. He gives them comfort concerning their future. Done.
He gives them comfort concerning their freedom. I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He promises these faithful believers the morning star. Now there's much debate going on about this in Bible scholars. I just want to let you know that. That's what he's talking about here. Some believe that he's promised them himself. After all, he is the bright and morning star in Revelation chapter 22. And, um, yeah, and but some think that this is referring, this is kind of a stupid view, but some think it's referring to Satan. Um, Luke chapter 10 and verse 18 you know, tells us that Jesus Jesus will let the church see Satan get what's coming to him someday. I believe we will see that, amen? I believe one day we will see that. All right? Everybody all right? Look here. Here's what I believe, okay? I'm just going to be done with this thought. First of all, I believe we're going to see Satan get what's coming from him someday. But after my study on it, I believe he's talking about the rapture of the church. You do some study on it, you'll see that when the night grows the darkest, the morning star, which if you do study, if you look up the morning star on the internet, you'll soon find that the morning star is referenced to the planet Venus. Anybody ever heard of that, Seymour? It's pretty crazy. To the planet Venus. And when the darkest of night, in the middle of the night, in the darkest of times, that's when you can see Venus. Isn't that crazy thought? That's when you can see Venus. It becomes visible in the darkest of night. And friend, I tell you, I think the Lord is telling these folks to just hold on a little while longer. He seems to be saying, I understand, it's, it's very dark now. It's very dark now. But the, the closer heaven gets, the brighter it's going to be. It's going to be dark now. But there's a light coming, friend. And He is the light. So hang on, hang on, hang on. Help is on its way. Help is on its way. And folks, that is our promise tonight. That's our promise. This, this, the night's dark. The days are dark uh, that we're living in right now. But they'll not last forever. They're not going to last forever. The Lord is coming. And the signs are all around us. Signs are all around us. And symbolically, the morning star, it's happening, friend. It's happening. There's going to be a new day soon. He's coming. We're going. We must hang on. We must hang on. Signs are something that end when you've reached the destination. That's why we don't speak in tongues anymore. Signs end when the destination's been reached. We're seeing signs of Jesus right now. But when He comes, signs will be over. We'll be gone. So I'm telling you, you better be ready. I don't think anything Mountain Valley Baptist Church in any way, shape, or form is anything like the church in Thyatira. But I do think that Satan would love nothing more 
than Mountain Valley Baptist Church to be just like the Church of Thyatira. We must be vigilant because the adversary of the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We must watch. We must work against his tactics and his ways, his methods, the things that he does. The Bible says that he is, I'm forgetting this word to save my life right now, but he says that his methods are something real, y'all. The wiles of the devil. The wiles. That wiles means methods. And we must look not only as our church as a whole, but at our individual hearts, friend. I'm telling you, sin's going to come in this place. And you and I must put up a stop sign. We must put up a stopper for that sin. And obey the voice of God so we do not fall like some of the church of Thyatira. Because I know you don't want to and I don't want to either. And we must, keep, we must remain vigilant on those times. Thank you for coming tonight, Lord. We love you. I pray, God, you never let it be said that Mountain Valley, Lord, the church that had charity but compromised. Lord, help us, God, not to compromise, to have charity, Lord. Help us with that. Lord, help us not to compromise in any way, shape, or form. No matter how many times people don't like it, no matter how many times people stand up against us, Lord, Help us to stay with the Word of God, Lord. We need to stay with the Word of God. Lord, help each person in this church from every pew that's occupied tonight. I thank you for their ears. I thank you for letting them listen tonight. And I'm thankful for their service in Mountain Valley Baptist Church. I ask you, dear God, to help us, Lord, throughout this night. Help us as we go home. Lord, help us not to fall like the Thyatira Church did. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.